Raptors Reasonless is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. Huge week of home games ahead that will test the Toronto Raptors, potentially with Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka coming back into the lineup. The Raptors host the Utah Jazz, they host the Houston Rockets, and they host the Miami Heat. Not in that order, they host the Heat before the Rockets. Either way... Uh, a lot of big, big home games, potentially with some returns. Huge week for the Raptors. The Game Time app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the Game Time app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Raptors Resilist Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Joining me on the line, as almost always, Eric Green. Eric, what is going on, buddy? Tell you what's going on, Blake. First of all, happy fake Thanksgiving. Uh, I don't care at all. I I know you don't care even when it's real Thanksgiving, but uh, because of your food. Anti-Thanksgiving. Yeah, your food situation. You you do not like giving thanks. Uh, I'm unappreciative. Uh, yeah, I know that. And also what's going on is as of the Raptors throttling of the New York Knicks, who are not good, they're top five in both offensive and defensive rating, to which I'm sure Nick Nurse does says he does not care. Yeah, Nick Nurse has been very adamant that every time you ask about such things, he doesn't care. Uh, the which sample's I'm, uh, too small, the sample's too noisy. Yeah. I'm here for that, by the way, despite being the person who twice has asked these things. <laughs> um, and asked them in a very specific way, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm enjoying it. You know I love when people don't care about things. Yes, it's great. It's uh, like when we had uh, Niall Lowry for a little while when he <laughs> said nothing nothing mattered at all. Uh, the Toronto Raptors, as you say, Eric, are quite good. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about their... Current five-game win streak, we're going to talk about them being number two in the NBA in net rating behind only a foe that they might meet in the playoffs and a foe that Canada basketball might meet in the Olympic qualifying tournament in Victoria, BC in June. Canada draws into a group with Giannis Antetokounmpo and Greece. Uh, The way we're doing the podcast today, guys, Eric and I are going to talk Raptors for um, something a little shorter than the normal amount of time. And then Eric has a guest who he is going to interview at the end of the podcast, former national team player and the person who I co-wrote his biography with, Carl English. So that'd be a lot of fun. Carl has some good insight on the Canada basketball program and the challenge that Canada will be facing in June, uh, trying to climb that hill and qualify for the Olympics. That'll come in around maybe 25 minutes into the podcast. Uh, Eric's going to do that. I'm going to tap out because it's a weird conflict of interest for me to interview someone whose book I just helped write. Eric, Toronto Raptors. Won five straight games. Some of those have been against poor competition. Uh, the Charlotte Hornets have come down to earth. The Orlando Magic uh, are not looking quite as tough as they did in the playoffs last year. The Atlanta Hawks are fun, but not great. The New York Knicks are awful. Sandwiched in to that five-game win streak against middling competition was a 101-96 victory against the Philadelphia 76ers on Monday. The Raptors were down six players. Philadelphia 76ers are supposed to be very good. They might be, they might have the highest defensive ceiling in the league if it's not Utah. Um, offensively, they're still working some kinks out. They're turnover prone. Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid still don't really fit perfectly together, despite, you know, having played an awful lot together, including in a couple of playoff series. Now, pretty impressive win for the Raptors. I know people wave off some of this win streak, some of their standing in the league as. Um, quality of competition inflated recently after a very tough start to the season. But what did you see in that 76ers game? And, you know, without Kyle Lowry, Serge Ibaka, and four other depth pieces, it, would you call that probably their best win of the season so far? Um, you know, I think the Lakers win in LA still has to qualify as the best, even though there were some concerning elements about the Lakers' level of effort in the fourth quarter of that game um just you know it's so hard to to go into what's you know record wise the best team in the league uh, their house and win that game being and that was the first game after Lowry and Ibaka went down so that 
I think is was the most impressive. That was also like a, a level of effort and energy that like even outpaced the one I saw against Philadelphia. Like it was just absurd. They were flying all over the place and really like they were shot out of a cannon. Saying that the win over Philadelphia is probably the most gratifying uh, win of the season so far, uh, both because of what happened in the playoffs, uh, but also the manner in which they did it. Uh, you know, a 10-0 run to end the game. And yeah, some of that is missed shots, but they were once again defending their butts off, uh, not making any huge uh, tactical mistakes, figuring out a way to uh, put a pin in both Ben Simmons and and Joel Embiid. I thought it was really interesting. Uh, maybe the most interesting part of that game to me, just in hindsight, was at the beginning of the second half, Ben Simmons had sort of two uncontested layups to the rim. Uh, and Nick Nurse, after the game, alluded to it. It's like, yeah, we didn't want Joel Embiid to get free. We, did, like, we didn't want him stepping into those pick-and-pop threes because that's sometimes where he gets a rhythm going. And when you're thinking about Embiid, that's not something like stopping his three-pointer isn't something that you would usually obsess over. Uh, but look, it and everything else they did obviously worked against him. Another really good game plan. Uh, another, you know, after sort of a, not a bad, but just a so-so Pascal Siakam game, he, he took over uh, in the fourth quarter and especially late in the game. Uh, and it was just indicative of, all of the good things that have been going on overall. I, I enjoyed that game immensely. The Toronto Raptors now, uh, after that game and after bottling up the the Knicks, which is much, much less impressive, uh, the Raptors have allowed 103 points per 100 possessions on the season. Uh, doing that without Lowry, who is you know usually in the conversation for second team all defense, and doing that without Ibaka, who is your best traditional rim protector, uh, is pretty impressive. Two teams that are ahead of them, by a fraction of a point are the Milwaukee Bucks, who uh, are the only team as good at the Raptors, as good as the Raptors at limiting other teams around the rim, and the Philadelphia 76ers, who the Raptors uh, beat in that game. Denver is currently number one. Jamal Murray taking some nice strides in that department. Uh, Dylan Brooks as well. Maybe this Canada basketball team, as you add offensive firepower, will also have decent wing defense. Uh, no one, no one in the mold of stopping Giannis, but. The FIBA game allows for some opportunities there. Anyway, I won't spoil the Canada basketball talk, but the Raptors defense has been very good. If there's a concern, it's that uh, they're still giving up corner threes at a pretty high rate. If you were to look at their shot spectrum, it's not exactly where they want it to be. But Nick Nurse has been pretty clear, if not verbally, then in his schemes and in their execution, that... Um, they have gone even further, and I think this is a logical extension, having had DeMar DeRozan on your team for a few years and then Kawhi Leonard last year. They know firsthand how difficult it can be for an offense if you get the ball out of a star's hand really aggressively, ratchet up that pressure once they cross half court, chew up clock that way. Uh, the Raptors have taken that to, you know, maybe as far as you can. They are they are zoning heavily. They are blitzing heavily. They are doubling every post up almost before the guy even catches the ball. Uh, they've been very, very aggressive against opposing teams' top players. Against everyone except for maybe Luka Doncic, that has worked. Um, it worked, you know, well enough against R.J. Barrett, although RJ, it was funny. <laughs> the first quarter the first quarter of the game on Wednesday, it almost looked like the Raptors didn't know what to do on defense because they didn't have that transcendent star to try to force the ball out of their hands. Uh, it was kind of funny. It was like, hey, what do we, when we just guard one-on-one -on -one against lesser players, we're uh, a little less capable. That only lasted a quarter, though. They figured it out. Uh, oh, Eric, God, the, the Knicks defense, are bad. That's, anyway. I, they're terrible. That's, yeah. yeah. Uh, the Raptors defense, though, this is kind of what we thought, and, and it's surprising that they've done it while shorthanded. Uh, but we kind of thought coming into the year that they'd be a top five defense based on personnel and, and Nick Nurse's uh, capability as a coach at that end of the floor. What has been more surprising to me is that the Raptors are also fifth in the NBA in points per 100 possessions with 101.4. Eric, when I, I think I predicted 48 wins for the Raptors, which obviously looks way too low now since they're on pace to win like 60. Um, my biggest concern was that the floor on offense could fall out if Kyle Lowry or Pascal Siakam 
missed time. How encouraged are you by the fact that, and again, the schedule has turned easy in terms of the defenses they're playing against other than Philly these last five games. Uh, Orlando's pretty good defensively uh, as well, even if their ranking isn't that high right now. Um, qualitatively, they're a very good defense. But how encouraged are you by what the Raptors have been able to do without Kyle Lowry and you know even without uh, Ibaka as well, who usually is kind of a high-usage guy in those bench units? Uh, first of all, I want uh, we've mentioned strength of schedule a few times. Uh, team rankings actually still has them as having had one of the harder schedules. So I talked to John Schumann, who factors in rest, uh, and he actually has them sort of close to the other end. So uh, I think the the proper way to view their schedule so far is sort of as a middling one, a fair representation of you know what you're going to face on, uh, on a day to day basis in in this league. Uh, yeah, sorry. I only meant that the last yeah, know, five, yeah, for six sure. games have been five. I, 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 absolutely. Like uh, four of those teams are not good. Uh, like Atlanta's fun, but I think they're like 26th or 27th in, in net rating. And without John Collins and Kevin Huerta, um, they just uh, aren't as dangerous as, as they would be otherwise. Uh, the offense has been good. I, like it's, uh, I feel the story on if you want to be skeptical, and I wrote this in my piece about how the Raptors are the best story in the NBA, which I actually believe, which feels weird to say, um, but I, I I think if you want to be skeptical about this team, you look at their three-point percentage for and their opponent's three-point percentage, because the track record of allowing the types of shots that they're allowing would indicate their opponents should be shooting higher and their players track records of making shots indicates that their three point percentage should be lower. And as we know, like the three point, the three pointer is just such a huge swing in in this game, in today's game, like maybe seven, eight times out of 10, you can look at the game and who shot better from three and there's your winner. Not that it's that simple, but it it just often correlates. Um, So I think that's where the most natural regression is uh, on, on both ends. But the offense, look, like without Fred Van Vliet, and that's only happened for like 90 minutes now, I think, uh, since Lowry's gone, uh, gone on the shelf. They're, uh, before before Wednesday's game, they were averaging 124 points per 100 possessions, which is ridiculous, obviously, even if it's against the bench units of bad teams. Like that's still an absurd number to put up to put up. And I think it speaks a lot to that shooting. Marcus Gasol has been flat out great as, you know, everything but a shooter this year. Uh, don't, don't tell him that though. No, uh, yeah. Apparently he's upset with his play. Uh, like, I think he's been sensational. Uh, yeah. Especially defensively. Like we're talking about offense right now, yeah. but Gasol is a big reason why teams can't get to the rim against the Raptors and can't finish there. Yeah. He's uh, like Kyle Lowry. He's just, a basketball genius. Um, it's a pleasure to watch him play, but offensively, look, the guy can pass like no other big man except for, uh, you know, the dude in Denver, uh, Jokic. <laughs> um, the dude in Denver. Yeah. Uh, he's, uh, and it looks like it shouldn't happen, right? Like you're playing a team like Philadelphia, whose defensive ceiling we already alluded to. And he's just like, spraying in passes to cutters such as, you know, like Fred Van Vliet cutting through, you know, like a a Tobias Harris, Josh Richardson screen. Like those, Harris isn't the greatest defender in the world, but Josh Richardson's really good and they should be able to navigate an off-ball screen. And And they did that like nine times. Yeah, and the Raptors are dissecting teams like that. So, like, I don't know how much of that is Gasol. Obviously, his ability to make those passes is him, but... That they're creating those looks, you really have to tip your cap to Nick Nurse and the execution of what this team is doing. You mentioned you mentioned lineups without Fred Van Vliet uh, succeeding on offense. A big part of that, and a big part of this entire run, while shorthanded, has been the play of the trio of Terrence Davis, Rondé Hollis Jefferson, and Chris Boucher. They are three of the top four players on the Raptors in terms of net rating. Small sample sizes, noisy, all that stuff. The thing that is amusing to me is that based on this early head start that these guys and Pascal Siakam 
and even OG Ananobi and Marcus Hall to an extent have is that this might be the first time ever where at the end of the year, Kyle Lowry's on off numbers won't be like ridiculously tilted toward Lowry drives everything because the team's been so good while while he's down. Lowry is second last among guys who have played uh, <laughs> at least 50 minutes on the team in net rating. He's only plus 4.4. It's going to be tough to make the all-star case if he misses too many more games. And Yeah, well, he's already, yeah. you know, he might honestly be toast in that regard. Like, he's we'll missed, see. what, he's missed nine games already? We'll see. Um, there, uh, he does have uh, inertia working in his favor. Also, he was playing awesome before he went. Yeah, <laughs> that too. But, uh, like, they're good. Teams are good. Like, let's say the Raptors are by the all-star break you know, 10 games or 12 games over 500, whatever you want to say, uh, or not the all-star break by January. And it's like, well, this team deserves two all-stars. Well, you know, despite what we just said, they're not putting Marcus all on the all-star team. So yeah. uh, it's Pascal and somebody, and I know there's people will make cases for Fred, but uh, I think if Kyle comes back and he's playing, anywhere near the level he's playing at, he still has a, a decent shot. Although, you know, here, we'll, we'll get into out. all-star conversations once, you know, the all-star season. Uh, the hear me out. Comes. Terrence Davis, Rondé Hollis Jefferson, Chris Boucher share one slot off the bench. They just, they have to come out together. Yeah. It's like the year we talked about theoretically just putting the whole bench mob on the all-star team yeah. or having them win sixth man together. Just put Davis, Hollis Jefferson, and Boucher in to one slot. It's going to be awkward when Chris Boucher just isn't playing when when Serge Ibaka returns, uh, yeah, or, or is uh, is playing like you know spot minutes instead of a, a regular role. Yeah, that trio has been you know kind of a revelation though. They've played with Siakam led bench units. They've played with Van Vliet and Gasol bench units, which I think is kind of the best version to get the most out of those guys. Uh, but it's been it's been cool to see fun it's been fun to see how they kind of cobble that together obviously if you have davis hollis jefferson and boucher out there um you know you don't have the best spacing in the world probably if van bleet's not on the floor you don't have a natural lead ball handler terrence davis has taken on some of that responsibility really well um the big thing the big drivers of their success though have been one they all even though especially boucher and davis at this point in their development can be a little mistake prone all three of those guys work like hell on the defensive end and really want to get out and run in transition. And then the other element has been, even if they don't score that well, the Raptors grab more than a third of their misses, their own misses, when those three are on the floor together. For a team that only has an offensive rebound rate of 25% overall and has historically deprioritized offensive rebounding in favor of transition defense, that is that trio has been entirely unique to like the last five, six years of the Raptors. They've never really had groups that, that hit the offensive glass like that. Uh, that's been, you know, it's been a good example that sometimes effort goes a long way, which seems super reductive. But when you put three guys on the floor who just like never stop running and never stop trying hard and no, and I think there's an element too of like Boucher and Hollis Jefferson know if they get an offensive rebound, they have license to shoot it and they don't get a ton of touches Otherwise, and you know that Boucher likes to shoot it, and you know that Hollis Jefferson likes to, you know, flick off those little uh, deep in the post turnarounds and stuff. So um, those groups have been really, really fun. To your point, though, Eric, we should talk about what this is going to look like when guys get help. I, I just want to make, uh, before we yes. get to that, uh, I just want to make two points, one a semi-joke and one not. Uh, was Chris Boucher's one dribble pull up 20 footer the worst shot of the year for the raptors like not almost not in terms definitely. of not in terms of accuracy just in terms of like process um almost definitely i feel like norm has maybe had some candidates but yeah uh okay oh yeah norm's norm had a really bad one in a two for one the other day but i guess it was a two for one situation so yeah so there was at least logic behind it uh e yes. even if it was poorly executed there was logic behind boucher's well we're it's, up it's big chris and boucher get, logic <laughs> yeah i'm gonna get we're up big i'm gonna get my spots in but were they even up big at that point i'm not sure they maybe were maybe not but it's the knicks i feel like you can you always, use the mentality yeah. that you're you're up big uh and secondly you mentioned the offensive rebounding nick nurse mentioned sort of changing the risk reward uh process for the team uh after wednesday's game and that's just another example of his flexibility and i think 
we shouldn't stop appreciating how he is uh, sort of setting the style to the attributes of his players, which, you know, I wrote about this earlier in the year. We've talked about it plenty. But that's what you want in a coach. That What you want in a coach is to give their your team a best chance to win and to give your players the best chance to thrive. And, uh, and he even said, like, if we're giving up a bit more in transition, well, I want us having another crack at the ball. And it makes sense. And it's it's good to see. That's all. Yeah, I would agree with that. However, this might be it might be time. It might it might be done. Um, Serge, so the Raptors. We're recording this on Thursday. The Raptors are not practicing because it's Thanksgiving. You got to get that turkey in. Garbage you gotta holiday. Get to, you got to get to Orlando where Rovin's probably hosting them all for Thanksgiving. I'd imagine. Um, so Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka are each yet none of the six injured guys have practice yet. Let's do a quick roundup. Yes. DeJuan Injury Hernandez roundup. Dewan Hernandez is still in a, like a thumb brace cast thing. I don't know how to describe. Very, it very looks similar technical. to the one. The, it looks similar to the one. Well, I didn't ask him what like the name no, of it no, was. I, I just I, saw from across I enjoyed the your description as well. Uh, it's similar to what JV was wearing last year when he initially, although there's no word that it's ligament damage. They've called it a sprain. Uh, so he still looks like maybe a little bit away. He's, Probably destined for 905 once he's healthy anyway. Um, Patrick McCaw is like walking around and doing some light treadmill work and stuff. Um, he is, I that's, think, set that's to... That's like my exercise regimen. <laughs> he's set to, I think, be reevaluated by the, the surgeon next week. Stanley Johnson looked like he was getting almost a full workout in before the game yesterday. So he could be close, although obviously he doesn't necessarily factor into the uh, into the rotation. Matt Thomas is expected to miss four weeks with that fracture in his non-shooting middle finger that he actually suffered in shoot-around, as you noted yesterday. Uh, and then Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka. Ibaka, the hope was that he would play last weekend. Um, Lowry and Ibaka, they both talked about as potential potential returns this coming weekend. They play Friday in Orlando and Sunday at home against Utah. The issue being neither of those guys have practiced yet. The team's not practicing Thursday. Saturday would probably be a light session coming back from Orlando ahead of a 6 p.m. tip Sunday. I don't know that we'll see any of those guys Friday. I don't know if we'll see any of those guys Sunday, but sometime next week when Houston and Miami are in Toronto, I think you might see Lowry and Ibaka back. That is going to confuse the rotation a little bit. Uh, because Thomas is out, the guard side of this probably cleans up a little easier where Lowry returns to the starting lineup, Powell returns to the bench, um, Powell and Davis then kind of have to battle for 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 minutes. Um, Powell, to your earlier point about Lowry's inertia, Powell has some rotational inertia, uh, but Terrence Davis has outplayed him, so that'll be a battle, but there's probably room for both of those guys to get in. Uh, when Ibaka returns the backup center role, that puts a crunch on Hollis Jefferson and Boucher. Hollis Jefferson has the benefit of versatility in that he can defend a couple positions and they can use him creatively on offense and have guys space out around him in kind of an inversion where he's in the dunker and maybe Abaka's out 20 feet outside um, or, you know, Boucher standing at the three-point line or whatever. But I don't know that there are full rotation minutes for all of these guys. The Raptors, Nick Nurse will expand his rotation beyond where it was early in the year when it was seven to seven and a half guys. Um, but, you know, it's hard to work more than... 10 guys in regularly and it's hard to work more than nine guys in regularly playing you know eight to 12 minutes a game how do you who do you think's on the bubble here eric who do you think is is going to be most hurt by the returns of lowry and abaca i'm pretty sure we agree on this i think it's boucher um i just and he's been fabulous uh in what he's done but he's just a his his shot his rim protection is made not redundant because it's nice to have from many places on the floor, but Abaka gives you some of that and he gives you, you know, sort of better. I mean, a, not sort of a lot more, a, a, a lot more, uh, just good team defense <laughs> and, and sensible and certainly work in the post. If there's ever, uh, somebody with a bit more girth, he's more flexible there. And uh, he's just, you know, the, how many ways are to say he's the better player right now? So, uh, and you alluded to it, Holly, Hollis Jefferson's positional versatility on defense is what I think 
earns him more time. Like, it's asking a lot of... I mean, OG gets the toughest defensive assignment almost every night when it's not, like, a pure point guard. And uh, Siakam, I think we can both agree, we've seen the toll that the offensive load is taking on him on the other end. I, I don't really think that's improved in a hugely meaningful way. Uh, not that he's been awful, but it, it's just not to the level we saw at points the previous two seasons. Um, so I, I think it's Boucher. Yeah, you're probably right. I'm, I'm looking at his stats right now, and I'm going to miss that 20% offensive rebound rate. Uh, he has even a better assist rate than Ibaka. He's barely turned the ball over, which is like very surprising for Boucher in a bigger role. I thought that would be like one of his biggest issues, but he's done well. As he told me earlier in the year, he had to focus on not chucking and he's done well staying within uh, staying within his role. A below 20% usage rate for Chris Boucher. Now, just narrowly, but I, if, if you had told me Chris Boucher was going to get in the rotation in largely bench units and would use less than an average amount of possessions before the season, I would not have believed you. Maybe they're just not passing to him. What's, it, what's his touches? What do his t- touches look like? Yeah, I don't have it in front of me. Shot, but he did, like, shot per he touch. Had, <laughs> he had a couple smart assists last night. Like he got, they had a post up for him and he kicked it out to a corner shooter, which I thought, you know, automatic that, that. Yeah, I mean, I'm joking to an extent. I, uh, it's just, that's been his rap and I, you, you're seeing mild improvement and that's good. That's what you want uh, from your role players who are you know either on the young or developmental side of their careers and he's been very good like he i i think everybody would say like believe in him a lot more now as a potential rotational piece long term than than i did before and i think that complicates things going forward but and, you know, how he stays mentally, if he indeed is the one who's only shows up when there's foul trouble or a specific matchup that benefits him, you know, that will determine a lot about how the Raptors view Boucher going forward. But, you know, this period has been so positive for him and Davis, but, you know, just looking at it through the lens of Chris Boucher, uh, it would be tough given what he's done to see him out of the minutes, but you know, life, it's not even, you know, it's not about it being a meritocracy. It's just, there's X amount of minutes. Looking ahead to that Orlando game. It is a Friday night. You're going to be coming off a long week at work. You should treat yourself to the meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. DoorDash connects you to your favorite restaurants in your city, and right now our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code RAPTORS. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter promo code RAPTORS. Don't forget, that's promo code RAPTORS for $5 off your first order from DoorDash. Eric, you are not going to be watching the Orlando Magic game on Friday, I don't believe. What do you have going on this weekend, man? I didn't say that. I'm just not writing off of it. Oh, I thought you couldn't watch it. That's why I was no. Writing. We we made an agreement with the the Hawks. We game made an agreement. Th- you told me an agreement for us that this lead right. This, this was is lead not, writer shit. That no, we were talking about the Hawks game on Saturday and then the Magic game on Friday. This is what everybody wants: is us airing out our petty grievances. It's uh, certainly what Ryan Wolstead and Tim Bontemp want. Oh uh, yeah, well screw those guys. Um, yeah. You want to talk American versus Canadian Thanksgiving. (laughs) American versus Canadian Tim Bonton. You know, neither of us had a strong preference. So I was like, well, I'll write on a Saturday night against the Hawks, which I don't think is like me taking the clearly preferable (laughs) like case here. It's not like writing that game was a dream come true. And now you're stuck with the awful one. Uh, It is. There has been, I concede, there's been a lot of magic. And that is just so much Orlando magic. <laughs> and that played into my decision, but honestly, it wasn't it wasn't the primary factor. I wanted you to have the potential of having three non-Raptors days in a row, whether you took it or not. That's not, not. My, okay, but that's not on me. Don't go blaming me for for your life choices. Oh, the Raptors 905 went into triple overtime. What am I going to do? <laughs> 
I think this was a fair trade. It's all, uh, not trade, it's but a fair trade. It's just so decision. much Orlando magic. Yeah, I feel for you, man. I feel for you. But you got Markel Fultz. You got the Terry versus Terry battle. We don't have to do it again in a while. You can write about and whatever free, you want. freed Kim Birch. Thank goodness. Um, I mean, not for the best reasons, Vucevic being hurt, but yeah, it would be nice to see Kim Birch play. Yeah, well... Uh, it's funny how this. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to slander Vucevic right now because yeah. he's injured. But Marcus Gasol, man. Anyway, continue. Yeah, yeah. Good week for Gasol. I, the fact that Gasol just did that to. I mean, Vucevic again, but we we know what he does to Vucevic and Joel Embiid in the same week, and he's like, ah, I'm not playing well. It's like, man, what do you? Where are your? Imagine how many expectations this. I thought he was so. a team first guy, but apparently he just cares about his stats. Just just wants his numbers. Um, yeah, this, so this is the third meeting with the Orlando Magic coming off a five-game playoff series last year against them. If you think that's bad, the Raptors closed the season against the Orlando Magic as well on the second night of a back-to-back against the Heat, which has neat... This is like the most someone is going to get hurt on the second night of a back-to-back in a meaningless game written all over it. And then the Raptors are going to play the Magic in like the 2-7 matchup. And wow, penciling them in s- for the two. Wow. Yeah, I mean, there are some really good teams still. Like, the Raptors are off to this unbelievable start, and they're tied for second in the East. No, I meant penciling the Raptors in for two, The like, at the end of the year. Like, I Oh, I thought said. you were saying that was too low. No, no. I, like, I think there's five really good teams in the East, and they can, you know, other than Milwaukee, who I think is built best for the regular season, like, I don't know what order those teams are going to finish in two through yeah, five and my my belief in the indiana pacers as a number six in the eastern conference says uh is starting to look good like they're 11 and six without depot yeah that's good now they've had a cake schedule if you want to talk cake schedules but still i want to talk about cake yeah um anyway the raptors might not finish second in the east uh that top five maybe even top six and then the dramatic drop off after that assuming uh Kyrie and kd aren't both healthy for the playoffs, a uh, pretty big drop-off after that. Anyway, Raptors Magic written all over it after the season finale. Watch, there will be some weird scenario, too, where, like, if the Raptors win, they get the Magic, but if they lose, they get someone different, but they don't really care, and then we get, like, six Magic games in a row, because obviously the Raptors are still going to drop. They'll do the ceremonial dropping of game one. Yeah in Toronto and then continue on from there. Uh, I, I'm just hopeful that like in those last games, there's like that situation that happened a few years ago. Uh, I think it was when the Raptors went to the conference finals, uh, 2016, when three through six all finished 48 and 34. Some dumb crap like that is also on the table too. So it yeah. certainly is. I love dumb crap being on the table. Yeah. <laughs> so the Toronto Raptors after this Orlando Magic game, and again, the Magic aren't pushovers, pretty decent defense, a little thinned out right now, and the Raptors have already beat them twice. After that, things get a little tough. Next week, the Raptors host the Utah Jazz on Sunday. They host the Miami Heat on Tuesday. They host the Houston Rockets on Thursday, and then they visit the 76ers. That is about as tough as weeks come in the NBA, even with three of those games uh, being at home, we are running a little long here. So just give me give me a quick look ahead to uh, Utah, Miami, Houston, Philly next week. Let's we'll we'll put an Orlando. I don't know. I, you can pick that one if you want. But I'm let's not picking any week. of them. You haven't made me pick games all year. I'm not starting with the week that's the most difficult and. And Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka may or may not play. Like, you're just setting up the lead writer to fail here, which is I know what you want, but uh, I'm not going to bite. Uh, okay, not- Damar. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, we didn't talk about that. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to talk about that. It's fucking stupid. Um, I'm really interested. Pardon my language. Yeah. Sorry for the saying the fuck word. <laughs> <laughs> I'm interested most of all in the Houston game uh, just because it takes the defensive style that the Raptors have been playing to the logical extreme, or it could take it to the logical extreme. Uh, Harden just handles the ball so much, even with uh, Russ Westbrook uh, with him, and, and he handles it in places that aren't necessarily normal, and he's a risk to take a shot in places you can't 
necessarily scheme away those shots. I want to see how Nurse schemes against that. I'm really fascinated by it. Um, Utah and Miami will both provide excellent defensive tests against what how the Raptors have been been succeeding on offense. Uh, you know, those are two very well coached teams that have absolute monsters at or near the rim in Rudy Gobert and uh, Bam Adebayo. Bam! He's uh, awesome. Yeah. He's so good. We'll probably talk before the Philadelphia game, so I won't get that too much into that. But it's going to be, right. you know, it's going to be a test, like a, a definite test of everything we just talked about. Um, you know, I... I'm forever a skeptic, so I'm not sure how well I foresee it going, especially if they're juggling guys back into the lineup and that confuses some of the role players. Not confuses, but, you know, gets them maybe a bit out of the rhythm and and the confidence that they're so clearly playing with. Uh, But this stuff happens. It's, it's, you know, it's better for the long term that Lowry and Ibaka are near returns, we think. And uh, it continues what's been a fascinating and really enjoyable start to the season. That Houston game, also a big Adidas battle. Kyle Lowry against James Harden. If you've ever wondered how to get the hottest new sneakers, the ones that barely hit the shelves, the answer is StockX, a revolutionary new marketplace for buying and selling 100% authentic sneakers, streetwear, watches, and handbags. If you are looking to get your favorite podcast host, maybe a Christmas gift, uh, StockX would be the place to go. Eric, if you were looking to get a coworker, uh, you know, some new Jordans, uh, you know, maybe even uh, maybe even a James Harden Adidas. StockX would be the place you go. If you want in on all the hype, check out StockX.com slash bball for a surprise offer that won't be around long. That's StockX.com slash bball. Check it out today. Eric, what are you getting me for Christmas? Um, bunch of potatoes. I hate you. <laughs> Thank God I'm not on the second half of this podcast. All right, guys, that's enough Raptors talk. That's a, maybe Se- not enough second half. <laughs> it's enough of me talking to Eric for today and for this week. Um, we will be back after this with Eric talking to Carl English about his new book, Chasing a Dream, the Carl English story, as well as Canada basketball's draw in the Olympic qualifying tournaments and the recent commitments from Jamal Murray, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, uh, RJ Barrett, all sorts of guys. That's coming up after this. Eric, thank God I don't have to talk to you for a couple days. Uh, have fun with Carl, and I will talk to you next week. I love you, Blake. Bye. We are lucky enough to be joined by Carl English, the uh, writer, or co-writer, I should say, of Chasing a Dream, the Carl English story, Uh coming out on Friday from Flanker Press. Carl, how you doing? I'm great, buddy. How are you? I'm all right. I First off, I want to start with an apology. In the year 2007, yeah. one of my editors at National Post, where I worked at the time, said, you know, Carl English is sort of finding his groove internationally with his play. You should work on a story about that. And I was an intern at, at the time. And so I was trying to track you down and, you know, this is before it was super easy to track people down like <laughs> yeah. this. Uh, so yeah. I think, I think we were playing telephone tag and you eventually got back to me on a Sunday in February and I was coming home from a ski trip and I, I had this tremendous pain in my abdomen. So I told you I would call you back. I didn't call you back because what was happening is I was getting an OG Adenobi like case of appendicitis. Oh, shit. <laughs> so, so I, uh, I was in the hospital for a week after that. So this is my formal apology uh, for not apology, following up uh, with apology you. Apology accepted. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, we could have broken the Carl English story wide open. Yeah. Uh, had uh, my uh, my former organ not uh, intervened. <laughs> uh, very good to chat with you. Uh, big week for the national team, and you've seen so much with the national team, so much of it in your book. Uh, of course, Canada will be playing in Victoria. Uh, before we get to that, 
Give me some of your wackiest travel stories playing with the national team. You were sort of a member of the team and I don't want to say the dark era, but, you know, definitely in between eras, you know, post Steve Nash, pre this boom of, of uh, young Canadian talent. Uh, you weren't, you know, doing the first class travel type thing, were you? No, we definitely weren't doing that. But it's, uh, it's funny they say the dark era until this, until these guys step up to the plate. And, yeah, and for really- sure and really uh, fulfill what everybody thinks they can. I mean, uh, my team did qualify for a Worlds, which was a step in the right direction. But, Absolutely. Um, it was uh, – playing for Canada was some of my best moments. I mean, the camaraderie with the guys and then representing your country is is up there with, with some of my greatest accomplishments. And then, I mean, I've been over a decade, almost a decade and a half with, with the national team. So – I have no problem with the sacrifice of doing it. Um, and it, it was a great experience. I mean, there's some crazy, there's some crazy stories and there's a few in the book. I mean, one particular, when we did qualify for the worlds, I remember we stayed first in, uh, I think we we're in Dominican and we were at this one, one hotel and then we, we always used to go swimming as a team and just kind of ice our legs as we're doing a pre-qualifying tournament, just, uh, some exhibition games. Then when the tournament started, we transferred to another hotel. So after we won that that game against uh, Dominican to to go, we were all going. We were on the bus and we were going. Everyone's excited, screaming. You know, we finally, you know, it was almost ten years in the making to achieve this goal. So obviously, uh, we were very ecstatic. And then we're going. We're like, where the hell are we going right now? And then all <laughs> of a sudden, we pulled up to this this place and. Uh, Coach Leo Routon said, you know, this is where we started it here. And anyway, I'd say seven or eight of us just stripped down to our underwear, running through the hotel and just went out and got into the ocean. So it was, uh, <laughs> it was pretty crazy. And then from, from the food fights in the middle of Turkey to, you know, to Jesse Young capturing the Canada flag on top of the hotel and taking it off and going through the hotel wrapped up in a flag the next day. It was pretty crazy. So uh, needless to say, it was uh, it was definitely a special time. Would you say that's your, you know, representing Canada at what was then the World Championships? Is that your most cherished memory of playing for the national team? Is there something else that people might not think about uh, when it comes to that era of basketball? I, I think the first, some of the first times, just 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 getting the jersey on your back. I mean, you yeah. grow up watching and. Um, I'm from a place that we didn't have cable. We had two channels and when Steve Nash came on, on CBC, it was a a major deal. Um, so once you saw that and that was definitely a goal of mine. So once you achieve those things for the first time, they were pretty special. And then anytime you play, anytime you play at home in your home country, Pan Am's games were pretty special. And that was towards the end of mine. Um, there was yeah. some darker stuff that happened after that that kind of eliminated me from from playing after that. So, but there's, uh, you know, it was it was definitely a special time. Uh, you of course went to the University of Hawaii. What is the most efficient way to get from Newfoundland to Hawaii? Uh, most efficient would be to Toronto, <laughs> St. John's to Toronto, and then you got a ten and a half, twelve hour, <laughs> I think, from Toronto through. Now that was always the most expensive one as well. But if you didn't go through that one, you you probably go Toronto, Toronto, Vancouver, Vancouver, Hawaii. That's not a bad one either. But sometimes I would go all over, all over the world to, to get to get to Hawaii. Depends yeah. on who was paying for it. If it was me or the university. <laughs> yeah, uh, it must have been tough to get Fably to. I mean, I'm sure they wanted to come see you play, but that's a that's a big ask, no? Yeah, that's a big ask, Dan. I mean, I, I had fortunate. A couple of my brothers came out. Um, my girlfriend, my wife now, but was my girlfriend at the time. She came out, but no, you don't get a lot of, you don't get a lot of tourists, um, to come out there because of the, because of the distance. Um, so you, you mentioned playing at home in 2015. Before we get to that, you also served as something of a mentor for some of the guys who we figure we will see in Victoria, 
coming up in June, you know, the, the sort of the first wave of what's been this continuous wave of Canadians into the NBA and, and other leagues around the world. Your, your Corey Josephs, your Tristan Thompsons, your Kelly Olenics. Kelly Olenek famously, I, I believe he played in the World Cup in, in Turkey yes. as, a, as a 19-year-old. Uh, yes. What are your sort of lingering memories of them as, as not like the standard bearers that we think of now, but as, as guys just trying to make their way within the program? Well, they were young when they came in. Uh, Kelly in particular, we had Kelly when he was at Gonzaga and we were really upset with Kelly wasn't playing because when he came with us, I mean, he was like a three the way he was so, I mean, he's almost seven feet, but he was handling the ball like a guard. He was working with the guards and I mean, we'd just do shooting drills and things every day. And I have a great relationship with Kelly. I mean, worked out with him last summer at Vegas for a little bit. And, you know, just him as a person. And I was very distraught in the fact that he didn't get to play much with Gonzaga. And we were, we actually was, I was talking to agents and teams and we were trying to convince him, like, listen, bud, you're a rock star. You need to play. If you can't play in Gonzaga, I mean, I can pull strings and get you a top-level Europe, and you'll go right back to the NBA. So that was interesting. But even Corey, Corey was just a given leader from day one yeah. and a very grounded, humble guy. And you love to see that, right? And even Tristan. Tristan came in there. Another workhorse came in at a young age. I was in there the summer with Wiggins as well. I mean, that freaking guy, just so talented. Um, I think he made a move one time, and we weren't supposed to give up baseline. Yeah. And Jay Triano said something to me. He's like, Carl, you can't let him go baseline. I said, Coach, that happened so fast, I didn't know what the hell to do. <laughs> I was like, he was like, yeah, he does the same thing in the NBA. Um but uh, just a bunch of them. I've been, I've been fortunate, you know. Uh, even RJ now. I mean, he was around when he was a kid, when especially when Rowan came involved. Yeah. Um, it, it's amazing to see these guys what they've turned into, you know. Um, and it's it's so it's so bright. The future's so bright for for these guys. I love the fact that guys are committing. Um, Jamal, I got the, when Jamal was in there, he had some big games at Pan Am's. I mean, I've had memories with most of them, you know, most of this wave that's coming through that are at least are, you know, in their mid to mid, let's say mid to late twenties. I've, yeah. I've, I've had them and kind of got to mentor them a little bit and just even communications with them. And it's, it's so much different from when I started, obviously, but you know, it's great that they're, it's great that they're committing, but, uh, you know, there's so many things that goes on that people don't understand. I mean, everybody can throw a guy under the bus. Everybody can say, oh, why ain't you doing it? But they don't understand what's going on. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that a little bit, because I think, you know, for fans, that certainly has been a frustration over the years, you know, particularly this past summer when uh, I believe it was just Corey Joseph and uh, Ken Birch once Cor once. Uh, Kelly Olenek got injured in, in a pre-tournament yeah. game that were NBA players uh, at representing Canada. And we've, I, I mean, Blake and I have talked about this a bit. There's, you know, yeah. contractual situations, there's insurance situations. Oh, that's the big so, one. So, so <laughs> when you're, when you're watching this happen as a proud, you know, Canadian and somebody who loved playing for his country, how do you mix sort of that emotional response as like, I want these guys there with yeah. the knowledge of what is re really entailed that, you know, you started to go into. Let me break it down for you guys. It's, it's a blessing. I feel it's amazing. It's an honor to play for your country. But unfortunately in my situation, I got injured in 2012 and it was a bad injury. I tore my tricep and yep. Insurance is the issue. Insurance is the problem. I mean, I, I'm i not going to sugarcoat it. I had a, a million-dollar offer on the table each year that I couldn't take because I tore my tricep with Team Canada, and in the end, my insurance wasn't covered. So not only did I lose my contract that I had, I lost future earnings. And, you know, I, I mentor guys like Kevin Pangos, for instance. Kevin Pangos, you know, having an amazing career over in Absolutely. Europe and dominating in Barcelona. And before he signed his Barcelona deal, you know, I was like, Kevin, man, let me break it down for you. 
sign your sign your contract first go in pass all your medicals who cares if you got to pay for your flights over there make sure you sign your medicals and your contract with barcelona because then it makes a guarantee because if you go in for the national team and the insurance doesn't cover you you're losing all that money and you're affecting your career for the rest of it so i don't think people understand that yes it's great to play for your country yes it's an honor and you know even Stephen M had barriers with this. Rowan himself had barriers with this when he was playing. Yeah. And if you don't have the insurance in place, you're risking everything, you know. And coming from me personally, I lost a shit ton of money because of that, you know. And they can tell you the insurance is there or whatever, but it's a slippery slope. And in the end, it, it really affected my career. So, you know, I know these guys. Like, look at Kelly. Kelly came into camp. Kelly's always played for Team Canada since he was 16 yeah. years old. Right. But what happened to Kelly? Kelly got hurt. Oh, it's only minor. Oh, it's minor. He missed all preseason, came in like, so you're already behind, you know, and then that affects like if you, the NBA and any professional basketball league or any professional sport is a dog eat dog. There's a guy behind you that's chomping at the bit. He's waiting for his opportunity. That might be a guy is struggling. That might be a guy goes down with an injury. That's why you have a team. That's why there's 12, 15 players on a team. The next guy is up, ready to go. But guess what? If that guy behind you comes in and does his job, well, now you're at the end of the bench, and that affects your money, that affects your your life, that affects your endorsements, that affects so much many things that wasn't really there in the early 2000s, you know? Yeah. And for fans, I mean, everybody wants to see this golden generation, and everybody, I, I will feel there will be a lot of them there, but then I also feel that the closer it gets, there might be contract obligations, teams uh, let's get let's not get it twisted all these players want to play all these agents would like their players to play but they're scared all these yeah. teams most of them want to see their players play but then they're also scared they're investing a lot of money into these players and if those players go down and they're out for the season well then you know that could jeopardize your chance at a, at a deep run in the playoffs that could jeopardize your chance you know, look what happened to Paul George a couple of years ago. Like it's, exactly. it's not just clear cut anymore. And, and, and this insurance thing is a major issue. Like I said, it affected me personally. And, and, and then Canada basketball just pushed me to the curb. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's different. Yeah. Are they there at the end of the day? Yes. It's a fraternity and it's this and it's that, but you know, nobody wants to get hurt at the end of the day. You want your national team to take care of you. You want them to, as a family would, you want to have each other's back. And until the players feel that way, you're not going to get the commitment that the fans want. Yeah, I, th I think Paul George was the wake-up call for 100%. You know, for people in general. But uh, but his situation is obviously different. He's like, it's almost similar to what the Canadian hockey team goes to. And that's something that's like often cited as, yeah. well, you know, Canadians play for the hockey team. Well, like for the national team, these are, you know, 23 of the best players in the world yeah. and if they get injured like unless it's a super super serious injury they're going to yeah. be fine on their next contract 100%. like it's, it's going to be fine but you know for guys like yourself in your career and even a lot of the guys who would figure to be playing on on this team beyond your jamal murray yeah like there are guys Scra scrapping for rotation spots right. or scrapping for two-way contracts or, or well, just spots with exactly. or spot or spots within their team. So it's you not as guy, clear cut. Yeah. You take yeah, a guy on ahead. the bubble. You take a guy on the bubble. Or you take a guy that's fighting for that 14, 15th roster spot, which, you know, is almost a million dollar contract. You take your taxes out of it, whatever, it's amazing living. Or you take the guy that's okay, he's he's fighting for playing time. He's he's fighting to get 20 minutes. Well, you get injured for two, three months. Guess what? You're fighting for three, four minutes. You know, if you're on the bubble and then you're sent to the G League and then things don't work well coming from an injury, there's many ways to look at it that, you know, it's, it's never clear cut. And I hate, I hate when people, and, 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 and I'm the same way. I want to see Canada's best on the floor because I truly, I've been quoted many times since 2015 when I saw these guys, I said in 2020, they will medal. That's my true feeling if those guys come out. But at the end of the day, I don't want to see one of my brothers or one of these guys, um, you know, ruined their career over an injury. Now, you take Paul George injury. What happens? What is the state of Paul George if that's Mexico? 
What is the state of yeah. Paul George if that's Venezuela? What is the state of Paul George if that's over in, you know, one of these host, you know what I mean? Then it's different. You know, that's the other part that people don't look at. You know, okay, luckily it happened in a place where the best doctors were there. What happens when you're, you know, when you're in one of these countries and it's not what they're normally used to, you know, so it's, there's a lot to look at it and it won't be clear cut. And, you know, I think, I think as a player, you want to feel that your federation or your national team, that you sacrifice your time because then it's the other asset. Like you sacrifice your time and yes, you want to do it, but these guys live a busy schedule. You know, I would come home from, I would come home from Europe in towards the end of June I get home for two weeks and then I go with my national team for six weeks. I'd fly home, pick up my clothes for one, two days and then go back to Europe. I did that for like eight years. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's a sacrifice that you make. So when you do that and you represent your country, well, then you also want your, your national team to have your back. If things hit the fan, like what happened to me with insurance or what happened to there's other guys, the same thing. And until that's there and until these players feel the love, and the protection from the national team, it's always iffy because you're, you know, is your, is your team that you're playing for, is your NBA team questioning the national team? Is your NBA team questioning your summer work? You know, there's a lot of things go into the decision and this is your employer, you know? So it, it's not as clear cut as people think. Absolutely. Well, you know, let's get to the present day. Uh, well, I mean, those issues are still prevalent right now, but uh, this was a big week for Canada basketball. Uh, again, Huge. nothing nothing is firm until we see it in uh, late June in Victoria. But just to recap, uh, Jamal Murray verbally committed to playing for the team in Victoria in the Olympic qualification tournament. Uh, uh, and then he was quickly followed by Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Shea Gilgis-Alexander. On Wednesday, R.J. Barrett said he 100% plans to be there. Uh, you know, we could go on and on, uh, maybe not commitments that strong, but once you get one guy, especially somebody of Jamal's stature saying that, yeah, yeah, uh, it 100%. goes a long way to that happening. Uh, you mentioned playing in Toronto for the Pan Am Games. That's a tournament I covered that was near the end of your career uh, and obviously a less less on the line in that tournament. What would it have meant to you to play for your country in a tournament as big as this one on home soil? I mean, it's the, the, the thing that instilled, and I'm going to tell you two things that instilled my love for playing for my country. Obviously, it's the hockey because I'm in a hockey province where I grew up. And it was all play for Team Canada. And then it was obviously Steve Nash, who's a big role model of mine. But then when I went over to Europe and I saw the passion that the Spanish guys had, and you cover Garbajosa. Well, yeah, Garbajosa ruined his NBA chances when he went back and played for Spain and his country and the world. That's how much it meant to him. Garbajosa was coming off that bad leg injury. He wears size 13 or 14 shoe. Well, the right side, whichever leg was injured, he wore a size up, and they used to cut off his shoe after every match from the blood that was leaving his foot. You know, so that, that takes it to a whole new level of these guys playing for their country. Now, obviously, Garbajosa now is the head of the association, so they honor, they honor his loyalty with loyalty back. So I guess it's, it's about what you're brought into, and as a guest of that fraternity, and I... I I brought this up many times when I was with Team Canada in the sense of you should have your you should have your 20 to 40 guys like America does. The same thing. It's no quit trying to reinvent the wheel. You should have your 20 or 40 guys that Team Canada or that America has, that Spain has, that Lithuania has, and then you take care of those, let's say, 40 guys. Then when your top 10 or 15 can't show because of contractual issues, you still have your pool of 15 to 20 to choose from. You know, and then everybody feels the love. Everybody feels together, and then it's next man up. So it's like a it's like a team, but it's a larger team. So yeah. then, if if Kelly goes down with what happened this summer, the next guy is there. Or if this guy's in contract negotiations, the next guy is there. So I think when once Team Canada starts to bring in that same motto of treating everybody the same, and you know, next man up mentality, and having that full fraternity, and everybody feeling part of it, because. I don't think it's sending your best. I don't think it's sending your top 15 guys. I think, you know, there's great guys over in Europe that understand that game as well. And that's the other part of it. The, the American game or the NBA game is different than the FIBA game. 
you know, and uh, it's just it's just something you have to adapt to. So it's not just take the first twelve NBA guys. I think For you sure. got you got to take. I mean, look at Kyle Wiltshire. Look at your Melvin Egypt. Look at these guys that you know that that have been through the struggles and been through the trenches and have always put on a jersey, well, they should be prime contenders for this summer because at the end of the day, you're not playing an NBA game. You're going to play the European game. And yeah. these teams that do it, they know how to do it really, really well. I, I think Nick Nurse is definitely mindful of that. And uh, even though the program, I mean, the, the effort at the World Cup this year or the result wasn't what he expected, I, I think he learned a lot about some of the 100%. players that were there. Yeah, um, they, got, they got very, on a side note there, they got very lucky with getting Nick Nurse as late as he yeah. did coming off that championship yeah. run. I think he's a fabulous coach, and I think he will do whatever it takes to get Canada to where it needs to be. Yeah. That's just side just note. Just two Two more for you, yep. um, and then we'll let you go. Appreciate your time. No worries. Uh, so the draw, uh, it is. Uh, there are four of these tournaments, uh, one in Belgrade, one in Kaunas, Lithuania, one in Split, Croatia. I would I would cover that one. Yeah, I, I played there. <laughs> yeah, I've been there. Beautiful no, town. No, I, I played there. Uh, I played in Zadar, yeah. which was... Uh, Zadar? For, yeah, Zadar, or, which was 40, yeah, yeah. Minutes, 40 minutes from Split, so I've played yeah. many games there. Yeah, and and one in Victoria, obviously Canada's hosting. They are yep. in one half of the group with Greece and China. Yep. The other half of the group is Uruguay, Czech Republic, and Turkey. Uh, it is likely uh, only the winners advance to the Olympics. It is likely that Canada would have to go through one of the Czech Republic and Turkey, who are ranked seventh and tenth in the world, and then uh, probably you would f- figure Greece. Uh, to get through any takeaways just from seeing their draw um forget the rankings the rankings like everybody hungs up on the rankings um just from my experience of being over there so long you can't rank canada because the guys haven't come out yeah (laughs) so if your guys come out canada's top five right now the issue you're going to be faced with is the guy's commitments and how much of a commitment they can give to get used to each other you know so that's the first issue i see with the summer if you get them come out i think it's a shoe and you you gotta you gotta be nervous of greece greece got some of their top players well obviously Giannis if he comes out but then with Giannis. The other guys that play for Greece are in top EuroLeague levels. The problem, these other countries, they're at the top European levels. And and I'm not lying to you when I tell you a Real Madrid or some of these teams could come over and beat the bottom 10 NBA teams. Like People are not facing this. I told people about Luka Doncic for five years. You know what I mean? Like There's so many of them when they play at that level. They're special ones. But then a lot of guys that that could be on the end of a bench are playing in top EuroLeague teams to make more money. So, you know, you got a question. You got to struggle with Greece, and then I struggle with Turkey. Uh, Czech probably be a sleeper, depending if Sakaransky and these guys play. But um, it'll be interesting. But I would say Greece and Turkey will be your ones. Yeah, the one variable is uh, it's late June, the tournament, which would be right after the NBA Finals. Milwaukee, That's what's going to be tough. Milwaukee, obviously a candidate to be there, as well as who knows the Raptors. Who knows? You know. um, so we'll see with that. So yeah. much yet to be determined. Final question. Uh, unless you're like Barack Obama, you usually only get to write one autobiography. Why would you pick it, uh, use, use that opportunity to write to spend time with Blake Murphy. Why would you do that to yourself? <laughs> uh, Blake is, uh, Blake's family's from, um, from Bell Island, which I can look out through my window and see that. And, um, Blake covered me a while back. And one of the best articles I ever had is one of the ones he wrote was Carl English should be in the NBA. And, um, I loved it back then. And he done a nice story on me. Uh, when I was in the NBL and I came home and scored a record 58, 58 points. So he was up there with a couple of more people, but uh, I talked to Blake and he was open to doing it. And I love the fact that he was all about it. And he's yeah. a very down to earth person and he did a fabulous job. There's a lot of people after reading it now and they're blown away. And to do an autobiography, it was, it was challenging. I'm not going to lie to you. It was one of the toughest things I did because 
as I'm talking to you now, I'm still guarded. I, I, I yeah. can guard and I can say certain things, but I'm always, you're trained to be politically correct. You're trained to, yes, to watch sure. what you're saying, unless you're Dennis Rodman or somebody like you're trained <laughs> to, you're trained to be like, well, how's that really going to affect me? So you're thinking before you actually speak. Um, so, you know, but with the book, I told it all. I let loose. I really got in deep on how tragedy affect my life. I really got in deep on what it meant to be cut by the NBA and how many millions of dollars I lost. And then I got into it. Well, when you're cut by this team or an injury happens and what happens here and what happens there. And as I went through the process, I really told Blake how it made me feel. And when the days ended, I was just physically and mentally totally exhausted, you know, and, and that's probably why I've put off this book. I've been approached by this book since my freshman year in college and I put it off and put it off. So I'm hoping this will be, I'm hoping this will be an inspirational story. I hope it will be something that people will look to and say, you know, that's an attainable goal because it's anybody can look, especially the people of Newfoundland and Canada, like you can look on a TV and say, oh, I want to be LeBron James, but sometimes you got to be real. You got to face reality as well. Like you're not, not everybody's born six, nine, two fifty five, Right. So, you know, but if you look at someone like me or like a Steve Nash and you look at it and you go through and you're like with hard work, dedication and perseverance, I can accomplish great things. I'm not saying you'll get to someone like Steve's level, but you know, you can get to a level of, of greatness and support your family and, and live a fulfilling life. And that's what I hope the kids and the people of Newfoundland can look at it and say, when I'm going through a tough time, well, this kid came from a town of 50 people and grew up playing on the side of a street with a rubber ball, you know, and he went on to, you know, to great things. So I'm hoping that that will, that's what the book will mean to myself and to my kids and to my family. Well, everybody who listens to this podcast knows that Blake does not half-ass things. He only whole-asses things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, your, your story is, uh, I mean, I, I know it. Every, you know, sports uh, basketball writer in Canada knows it. It's unique. It's inspiring. It's, it's one of a kind, truly. The book is Chasing a Dream, the Carl English story, uh, Carl English with Blake Murphy, and there's a foreword by some guy named Steve Nash. Yeah, that it's guy. Available, <laughs> it's, it's available uh, on, from Flaker Press, wherever you buy your books online or uh, in person, available Friday. Carl is available is on Twitter at CEnglish23 uh, on Twitter.com, a little social networking website. Carl, thanks so much for your time. Good luck with the book. Love talking to you. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. Great show, by the way. And this has been Raptors Reasonableness. We'll talk to you probably before the Houston game. See ya.